0: Shall we all stand? The word of the Lord according to Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 29. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 29. We're going to read on three, okay? One, two, three. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged shore. and practice sexual immorality so also you have some who hold the teachings of the nicolaitans therefore repent if not i will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches to the one who conquers i will give some of the hidden manna and i will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one so except one who receives it and to the angel of the church in Thyatira right the words of the son of god who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze i know your works your love and faith and service and patient endurance then your latter works exceed the first but i have this against you that you tolerate that woman jezebel and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned some what call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself has received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. Beloved, look over to your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. oh neighbor, do you have an ear to hear? What the Spirit says says. to to you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you so much for today. I ask that you be with me in sharing your word here, the things that you want your people to know. Lord God, they're very difficult things to cover, but I ask that you be with me and speak through me, Lord God. I ask that you open each and every single heart here that they will be able to understand your word, and they will be able to have a clean mind to you, Lord God, and hear what it is that you have to say, not only to hear, but to do and implement in their lives, and that you set them free. Lord God, we thank you, we love you. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen. Amen. This week, we are learning about Pergamum. Learning about the Church of Pergamum and Thyatira. These folks are still in, we're still in Asia, we're still in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. John wrote this revelation, right? It's revelation, not revelations, right? So what do we learn from the churches at Pergamum and Thyatira? There's a couple of things. I want to give you a bit of a background on Pergamum first, all right? When we come here, we come to school, we come to learn, all right? Pergamum was a place filled with a lot of idol worship. When is idol worship? You guys remember Greek mythology? There's Zeus and Aphrodite and all those different things, right? Yes. All of that stuff, all of those things were true deities that were worshipped in that time. And Pergamon was a very, very big place for that. Um, there was an entire altar built just to Zeus, right? So when we go down to the part where it says, like, you know, this is where Satan dwells. That is pretty much what the Lord is, refer- is, is 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 referring to. There's so much idol worship going on in, in that particular land. So, do we kind of have that climate for what for for what for what's going on in Pergamum? Any questions about that? So, imagine being a believer, being a Christian in that time, living in Pergamum, living in in in, in Pergamon, I should say, and really striving, really having a difficult time. It would be very challenging, right, to know that you, you, maybe you once served idols, but you're trying to come out of that. It's very, very difficult. So that's kind of the background for those Christians in that particular time. And on top of that, you're being persecuted too, right? So Jesus Christ always gives us a little bit of the positive. And what's the positive that he gives to the church at Pergamum, the people of Pergamum? He tells them that they're a church that does not deny Christ. Right? They haven't denied Christ. I think many people here will say that, yeah, I, I, I accept Jesus. I, I, I love Jesus. He's cool. He's my homie. I haven't denied him. In that way, you're not denying him. Right? There's been no denial there. But then there's a problem. He tells them that there are some of them that hold the teaching of Balaam. Does anybody know who Balaam is? Hmm? Balaam. Balaam. B-A-L-A-A-M. Balaam and Balak. So if we go to Numbers 25, we learn a story about Balaam. And Balaam was essentially a prophet, right? He heard from God, God spoke to him, and there was this king named Balak. And Balak was the king of the Moabites. You guys know who the, the, the Moabites are? I think we learned about that some time ago, right? So Balak was the king of the Moabites, and essentially Balak wanted the Israelites to, to fall down. He wanted them to be crushed, because he realized that they were coming over to their side. Right? That he was coming, he, he was coming to, to take over the land of, of Balak. At that time, when the Israelites were conquering, going back and forth. Right? So Balak calls up Balaam. He says, hey Balaam, like I need you to you know, curse them. I want you to curse the Israelites, so they will fall down, right? And Balak is like, all right, let me, I can't, I can't say anything that the Lord hasn't told me to say. So at that point in time, Balak is, some, Balaam is somebody that, you know, is listening to God, right? So he calls him up, and he says, come on, Balaam, you know you can, you can curse these guys for me, right? And Balaam's like, no, I can't do it. Instead, he ends up blessing the Israelites, actually, right? He blesses them not just once, because Balak is like, let's do it again. Let's try it again. Then he blesses them the second time. Then he blesses them a third time, right? So it's just blessings that's going on pretty much from Balaam. So Balak gets annoyed and he sends Balaam away, right? But Balak had promised Balaam a reward, right? So what pretty much ends up happening is that Balaam says, okay, I know another way to get around this. I can't curse the Israelites for you. Because I can't do what God has not told me to do. I can't say those things to you. But what I can do is I can cause them to curse themselves. So, Balak, this is what you should do. Take the Moabite women and send them over to the Israelites. Right? And pretty much those Moabite women are going to sleep with, prostitute themselves with the Israelites. Right? And God has commanded in his word that sexual immorality is unacceptable. you guys tracking with me here? So these guys, he sends these women over, and they're able to entice the men over there. And they sleep with the woman. And then because of that, it angers God. So they essentially cursed themselves. Am I making sense? So point number one. The enemy's curse on you cannot work on you. When you are a child of God, the enemy's curse that he has set upon you will not work on you. But he can cause you to curse yourself. Do you guys all get that? The enemy, Satan, principalities, demons, all those things, their curses that they spew upon you will not work, but they can cause you to curse yourself. They can cause you to get to a point where you will sin and fall. Let me explain a little bit about how Satan does this, right? He finds your weak points and he puts a stumbling block in front of you. That's essentially what Balak did, right? He found that the Israelites had this area of their life where they were struggling in the areas of sexual immorality and the enemy exploited that. And because of that, they were able to fall. Beloved, today, what is your stumbling block? What is it that the enemy puts in front of you, dangles in front of your face, that causes you to fall? We have to be very, very careful about this. In this example here, it's sexual immorality, which we're digging into very closely today, but there's a reason for this. But maybe that's not what you struggle with. Whatever you do struggle with, does the enemy know? He most likely does. To each and every single one of you, there has been an enemy assigned to study your life. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah. There's a question. Um, mm-hmm, question. What is sexual immorality? Sexual immorality, good question that you ask. So good, good, I need to give my definition before we get dig, dig deep in these things. Sexual immorality is essentially any definition of sex that is outside the confines of what God has instituted in his word. So sex outside of what is designed within the word of God. So that can be a whole bunch of things, right? Premarital sex, right? That's one of those things. God has said that sex is between a husband and a wife in the side of marriage. Sex is not between man and man. Sex is not between woman and woman. All of those things are considered sexually immoral. Does that make sense? So, does my definition of sexu- does the definition of sexual immorality make sense to each and every single one of you guys? Because we're really gonna need this going forward, right? So, there are so many different forms that we're gonna be touching on for the ones that I believe pertain to our group here today. So, sex outside of marriage, everyone that is married, adultery, all those things, that's considered to be sexually immoral. So as I was talking about the stumbling block, right? I think that's where I was before the question. Pretty much, what is it that Satan can put in front of your face that would mess you up? And how long will he be able to keep doing that to you and keep having you fall? How long will you be tired of being tired? When will you get sick and tired of being sick and tired? The enemy has assigned each, and the enemy has assigned somebody to each and every single one of you guys to so study your life. To know what you do to know what you like to know that hey you know this person they can keep rocking with me for a couple weeks or so but you know give it to week three and i'll be back right so you really we really have to be persistent in this though we do fall at times when we do fall we get back up that's a really key thing that when you do fall you get back up that's what makes you different from a non-believer a believer is the one who we get back up after we sin does that make sense to all of you guys so far so that's one of the points that I want you guys to take today. The enemy's curse on you will not work, but he can cause you to curse yourself for dangling things in front of you that, you, that, that appeal to you that will turn you away from God. Amen? Amen. So, then another point of this. So we talked about Balaam. We have talked about Balak. The next one that I want to talk to you guys about is the Nicolaitans. Who are the Nicolaitans? Anybody got an idea? Huh? Everybody say this with me. The Nicolaitans. 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 (laughs) So we see here in the word that that we read that the people at the church of Pergamum, that they hold on to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. So what are the teachings of the Nicolaitans? In order to understand the teaching of the Nicolaitans, we have to understand who the Nicolaitans are to begin with. The Nicolaitans are set to go all the way back to Acts chapter 6, right? And in Acts chapter 6, all of the deacons of the church, the bishops, the deacons, the first ones of the early church are all assigned. So there's Stephen and all these other people. And there's one guy called Nicholas, right? Now, Nicholas was said to be from Antioch. Nicholas was said to be someone who changed his life around He used to be in idol worship, and then he became a Jew, and then he became a Christian. So Nicholas, St. Nicholas is somebody that is said, as part of church history, that he ended up turning back. That he was the type of person that always always kind of dwindled and played around in different idols, right? Does that make sense? So the name Nicholas, Nicolaitans, pretty much means... One who conquers and subdues the people. Name Nicholas. One who conquers and subdues the people. Nicolaitans, it's in the, it's in the paper that you guys have there, on the um, verse 15. Front page. Found it? Awesome. So pretty much, what were his teachings? What his teaching was, is that grace over everything. Does that make sense? you guys know that now? Grace over everything is the teaching of the Nicolaitans. That so long as you believe that you and Jesus Christ are cool, it doesn't matter how you live your life. Live your life however. Have as much sex as you want. It don't matter. So long as you just believe that Jesus Christ is cool. And that you're cool with him. Right? So these were the teachings of the Nicolaitans. It's also known as Gnosticism, which is teaching compromise, right? So we taught that we can compromise our relationship with Jesus, right? So, so long as you don't deny Christ, do whatever floats your boat. Does that make sense? Any questions about the teachings of of, of the Nicolaitans? Now, could we all kind of see how God would have a problem with this? Because it's not only professing our faith to the world, but also living and acting it out as well. Though it is hard and difficult to live in holiness, we've been given the Holy Spirit to help us through each and every single step. Amen? So point number two, choose whom you will serve. As, we, as, as Joshua says back in the book of Joshua, choose this day whom you will serve. The gods of old or the God of Israel. So today, choose who you will serve. Will you serve God or will you serve money? Will you serve God or will you serve Jezebel? Will you serve sex? What will you follow today? This is so important. That don't follow the way of the Nicolaitans because God certainly hates that. And point three, because we're in the topic and the reason why we're doing this series is really essentially to figure out that, hey, I know that not all of you guys will be here. Not everybody's going to stay in this church for the rest of their lives. I probably won't even do that right but when you go out there picking a church finding a church what are some qualities that you need to see within a church to be able to pick that church so that point number 3 that i have for you is to picking a church that will not that will not compromise pick a church that will not compromise and will follow jesus only pick a church that will not compromise it's not enough just to say that you love jesus Does your life show it? Does the church that you're thinking about going to, do they show it? Right? So that's really important. Does that make sense? Because there are many, many churches. I tell you, you'll find a church in every block. But is that church exhibiting the teachings of Jesus Christ? If not, then be very careful about attending that place. So, does that make sense so far on Pergamum? Any questions? Yes. Uh Um, Can you repeat what the of Nicolaitans is? The Nicolaitans? Like what his name means or what? Like, (laughs) So the name of Nicholas, it means one who conquers and subdues the people. So the people who are the Nicolaitans, they are pretty much the... the, uh, Like the people that St. Nicholas kind of grew up with, right? They're his his people. When I say something like, oh, I'm Achim, right? From Ghana, right? So I roll with all the Achim people. If I'm in Ghana, I go to the Achim area and, you know, Eastern region, all those things. That's my place, right? So Nicholas is a part of the Nicolaitans. Does that make sense? It's like saying, hey, I'm from Woodbridge, but you go off to live in, I don't know, you go to college. And, you know, you're still, you've still got people from Woodbridge. Does that make sense? So, no? Do you guys need me to clear that up a bit more? Okay, so you go to, let's say you go to school, you go to San Diego State. Random, random school, right? But you're still from Woodbridge, all right. The people that you live with from Wood, are still from Woodbridge. They have a similar culture, a similar mindset about life. The Nicolaitans have a similar culture about compromising the things of Jesus Christ. Is that cleared up a bit better? Good, good. Ask me questions, guys, as we go about this. We're all here learning together. I really want you guys to get this stuff that, 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 we're, that we're doing here. So, that covers it for the Church of Pergamon. Now we're moving on to the Church of Thyatira. I'm going to try to roll through these things really quickly because I want to have us have some time to pray at the end. So, Sarah, we see that in verses 18 all the way to 28. What does God say positively about this church? Does anybody know? We see it in the verse 19. Hmm? What does God say good about, about that church? They have love and faith and and endurance. Awesome. Awesome. So they have love, patience, right? And their later works also exceed the first. You guys remember the issue with Ephesus? Their earlier works did not exceed their later works. So here, the church at Thyatira, they get, they get a commendation. You know, Jesus is like, hey, you know, you guys are really good at patience. You guys are really good at faith. This shows us that following Christ is not easy, Now we need the Holy Spirit. You can do well in so many areas, right? But there may be that one place, that one spot that the enemy will pretty much try to, to abuse, right? So we want to make sure that any cracks in our system, any cracks in our body, the way that we think, the way that our mindset is, that we fill it all up because if it is not filled, the enemy will get in that part and abuse it, Right? I think in Song of Solomon, says that be wary of the foxes that spoil the vine. The little foxes that we think are cute. But well, we got to be careful because those things can't spoil the vine. They can spoil the entire thing. Amen? So that's the positive on the church of, of, of Tyre Tira. Point number four. As we see, if we read the verse um, 20, They got to tell you guys a little bit about Jezebel. Verse 20 says, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Stop right there. Point number four anybody, any church where any member is a self proclaimed prophet, and the church supports this, you need to run. You need to run. There is no prophet of God. There is no prophet of God who proclaims themselves to be a prophet of God. Samuel never called himself a prophet. Elijah never called himself that either. Elisha never called himself that either. One who is truly a prophet does not go around boasting, saying, this is what I am. Hey, I'm the prophet this, I'm the prophet that. So we have to be careful as well about assigning titles to people. If you're going to a church where that place is 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 celebrated, like, hey, you know, we've got Prophet so so and so, and Prophetess so so and so, this is their seat. Nobody sit there. That is not where you need to be, beloved. You need to run. The only person we assign a title to is God, and God alone. We call him the Most High. Amen. Does that all make sense? Any questions about that? So we're learning what to look out for when we when we search for churches someday. Good. So now I'm going to talk a little bit about Jezebel. Anybody know who Jezebel is? I feel like you've probably heard that word several times, right? Anybody know who Jezebel is? She was, a harlot. She was what? She was a harlot. You got that right. She sure was. Does anybody know what a harlot is? Can you explain to us what a harlot is? Or do you just know that she was a harlot? I know it, but I don't know how to put it in words. How to put it in words? Okay, okay. I think we're all grown here, right? <laughs> <laughs> the proper word for this is that she was a prostitute, essentially. Right? That's the proper word that the Word of God gives us. Anybody else know more about the story of Jezebel? Yes? She was she tried to kill Elijah. Uh-huh. Amen. Thank you so much for that story. I think that came, did that come up when you guys were learning. So you guys should all know who Jezebel is, because I'm sure Sister Pat taught you guys all that when, when you were when you were talking about Elijah. So that's cool. See how everything is moving together, right? Like everything that's in the Old Testament is still so relevant to everything that we talk about in the New. The writers of the New Testament always refer so much to the things of the Old. So make sure that whenever you read, give give great respect to both sides, okay? Because it's important to kind of have that background. So Jezebel, as you said, was the wife of Ahab, King Ahab. She was very much known as a prostitute and a witch. And she was pretty much going around killing prophets. She wanted to kill Elijah, but that didn't work. Instead, her downfall eventually came. I think she fell out of a window, she fell down, and a a bunch of dogs ate her. I don't know how else to put it. I'm not sure. I know she, huh? Yeah. So her death was prophesied the same way as the destruction of Satan has been prophesied. Amen. So that's what happened to Jezebel. Why do I want to give you a background on Jezebel? Is because Jezebel has had such a vital has played such a destructive role in the lives of many. I think I I explained a bit about sexual immorality earlier. Why is this charged to both churches? You guys notice here that it's not only linked to Pergamum, but it's also linked to Thyatira. I'm not sure if we, when we read Ephesus, maybe there was there too. But it's kind of rampant going all over the place. Am I making sense? So Jezebel, when we say Jezebel's spirit and things like that, Like a spirit of lust, a spirit of sexual immorality. That's what we're getting at here. And we have the background of Jezebel, so we have better context on this. Jesus Christ warns us about this. This isn't just like, um, you know, Paul speaking or John speaking, saying abstain from this, or James teaching us in chapter 4. Jesus Christ himself comes and tells us these things. That he charges sexual sin to both Pergamum and to Thyatira. Why is this so important to Christ? When we see something be repeated in the Word so many times, we must take notice. That's one of the ways, you guys, when you're reading your Bible, take notice. When you see something mentioned multiple times, when you see something repeated, take notice, pray it over. It's very, very important. Okay? So, Jesus Christ brings us up. Does anybody want to take a guess as to, as to why Christ brings up the whole sexual sin charge against these people. Why is that why is it so important? Because they, they partake in it? That's from, yeah, but they I'm sure they partake in some other some other sins as well. But he particular call, particularly calls out sexual sin. Because sexual sin is very difficult to run from, Amen. Sexual sin is very difficult to run from. You guys should note that down. That is a very good point. Sexual sin is difficult to run from. Sexual sin is in its own class of sin. Because it is sin against your body. You guys understand? Sexual sin is its own class of sin. Because it is sin against your body. These are not my words. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Anybody that sins, sins outside of the body. So, you know, I killed somebody, I've killed somebody outside of my body. I lied to someone, it was outside of my body. But sexual sin, is sin against myself. It's sin against my temple. Isn't that making sense? You see why it's different? It, it's the one sin that affects your body. It affects your brain. It affects so many different aspects of your life that if you are not careful, it will destroy you. Note this down, guys. Sexual sin will disqualify you from being a soldier for Christ. If you persist in sexual sin and you do not run out, you do not seek the Lord, it will disqualify you from being a soldier for Christ. I believe one of the main reasons that there are so many men and women that are just sitting around doing absolutely nothing for the Lord because we have been rendered useless due to sexual sin. We're so busy trying to, trying to please ourselves that we forget that the Lord is more important. There are many that are held in bondage. Sexual sin will keep you infl- will keep you enslaved to yourself. Am I making sense? Are we all tracking? Can we all be real with one another? Right? We're all old here. We're all, we're all grown. Right? So I mentioned stumbling blocks earlier. Right? Many, many different stumbling blocks that go on. The two biggest stumbling blocks. Three, three biggest ones, right? There is adultery. But for many of you, many of you are not married. Right? Is that type of, ad- is anybody married here? No? All right, cool. I did. You? Hey, I wasn't invited to. What happened, my sister? I wasn't at the wedding now. It- <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry guys. So none of you guys are married, right? So none of you guys are committing adultery in that sense. Yes, if you lust after a woman, that is committing adultery with that woman. Why is it committing adultery with that woman? Because that woman is married to Christ. Because that man is married to Christ. Do so you ever think about why the Lord says, charges that if you, whoever, so look at a woman with lustful intention has committed adultery with that person, is because that person is already married. All of you guys here are married. We're all married to Jesus. Exactly. Thank you for that point. We truly are. We are the bride and he's the bridegroom. That's how we're explained. Does that make sense? You got, now, now, if Jesus is your husband, guys, listen. If Jesus is your spouse, if you're married to Jesus, do people know that you're married to Jesus? They don't know. Why don't they? Hmm? They don't know. If I were married and my wife didn't know anything about me, if, my, if people didn't know that I was married, that's gonna be a problem, right? I think my wife would have a problem with that, right? Like, you didn't tell this man you was married? Just wait <laughs> till we get home, right? Like, that's type that of stuff would happen. Um, guys, please be quiet. Thank you. So, three of the biggest ones, we talked about adultery. But the two things that lead most that are highly correlated to adultery is premarital sex, Pornography and masturbation. Those are things that will lead you down the line if the good Lord blesses you to be married. Those are things that will mess you up. They are more likely to lead you into committing adultery. So, The why, reason why I bring up this point. What is, why, why, why is it so important? As this, this is so important if you guys don't get anything else from what I'm saying I want you to get these two things about this very particular thing premarital sex will lead you to a soul tie what is a soul tie? Hmm. what? a knitting of the soul right? so every, imagine you guys are all spiritual beings we're all spiritual beings you all have a soul before you got a physical body, the Lord knew you, right? And God put, put, put a physical being for you. So everything that you do is spiritual. Every aspect, everything that we're doing right here, this is what that we're doing right here, this is not just some physical exercise. This is spiritual stuff we're dealing with, right? You're a spiritual being. When you are sleeping around with people, it is not just a physical transaction. It is not just, guys, keep with me here. It's not just a physical transaction. If you're not careful, you will be tied spiritually to that particular person. Or you've got, your condoms will not save you from STDs, which what do they call them? Spiritually transmitted diseases. You don't know, guys, listen to me. You don't know, listen, listen, you laugh because I'm out here giving you these little little things. But, guys, listen to me. Let's bring it back. Listen, listen. No form of contraceptive. We'll keep you away from that. You don't know what spirit is in that person. You don't know what demon is along with that person. That can be then transferred onto you. Guys, we have to be careful. When Jesus Christ brings up these things, he is not playing games. So we must take it very, very seriously. It's so hard, right? In this culture that we live in, everything that you see, it's all over the place. But Christ is still telling us that His Holy Spirit is great enough. Christ is better. Christ is better. Not only leaves soul ties, but what does it do to you physically? What does pornography do to people physically? It messes with the brain. Science backs us up. Who, who likes science? You like science? Uh, let's, go, let's go to science class for like, let me take you to science class for like three minutes. Okay. It's not astrology, don't worry. It's more like like, like like biology, right? That's the study of the anatomy, anatomy, right? Yeah, that one. Neuroscience. Let's talk neuroscience. Huh? Hey, hey, hey. All right, guys, bring it back, (laughs) bring it back. Okay, what it does to the brain, when you engage in viewing pornography, when you engage in all these things, dopamine is released within your brain. There's this chemical called dopamine that is released. It's essentially similar to having crack. It's essentially similar to doing drugs, right? It's known as a high. Are you guys paying attention? Yes. It's a high. And that high, when you're done, it doesn't satisfy you. You just keep going back for more. And then you get caught and you get trapped. So it's not just a spiritual thing anymore. Your body is also physiologically having a problem. That is why Jesus Christ warns us so much. I want to share this thing with you guys. It is so important, guys. When I was sitting in your seats... I wish that somebody would have, would, have, would have had this conversation, would have brought this thing up. Would have said, how do I get out of this thing? Because it's so, it's damning my life. How do I move? That is why we're talking about this today, guys. Because I know that many, many people struggle with this. Many, many people have had this issue. I myself have struggled with this for so long in my life. But if Jesus Christ can get through me, and beloved, believe he can get through you as well. Amen? God is there to help each and every single one of you guys. You don't have to be tied to a life living in this. God is coming. You never know. Be prepared. It's not just sin against your, your, yourself. It impacts so many people. Sin is never only just about you. Note that down. Sin is never just about you. Sin is never just about you. It affects so many people around you. In the past, in, the, in, in, in Israel's folks, people would die Many people would die because one person sinned. Many people would die because one person sinned. What's the, what, what are some things that come out of premarital sex from a physical standpoint? You may have a child. That will not only just be your problem, will be your, parent, will be your family's problem as well. What are the things that come out from the masturbation pornography side? You think, oh, this isn't hurting anybody. It's just me. But no. Someday it's messing up your brain so much to the point that when you have a family, it's going to mess you up and it's going to come up. Unless you give your life to Jesus Christ for God to renew you and to restore you away from that, it will be destructive to your life. It's been something that's been so normalized in our culture, but I want to tell you today that it is not normal. Because that is not what Christ calls us to And many have fallen to it, but because of God, we come out of it. I'm standing here a living testimony of that. If I can be real with each and every single one of you guys, it's not easy growing up, but I want each and every one of you guys to know that there is a way out, and that way is Jesus. There is a way. So, when you are looking for a church, pick a church that does not condone sexual immorality, but a church that will help you to get out. A church that will help you to get out. It pains me at times because I I, real, I look back in my life and I see that what I once was and what I, what I was once in and just how of a relationship I had with Christ, how I thought I knew Jesus, but I didn't, how I didn't really have a relationship with, I, I, I knew the, you know, Genesis chapter 1, John three sixteen, God so loved the world, but I didn't have a relationship with Christ, and what was hurting my relationship with Christ, this was hurting my relationship with Christ, beloved sexual immorality was damaging my relationship with Christ, I know many of you love God, but if you don't cut this thing out, you will not be able to enjoy a good relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because God demands holiness. God demands holiness. Am I making sense, to everybody? Any questions so far? So, having around picking that church. Picking a church that will not condone this or will help you get out of sin. There are a lot of churches where people know who's sleeping with who. The organist is sleeping with this person. The, 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 The pianist is sleeping with this person. Guys, and these people are still allowed to come in because why? They are the only people that know how to play the piano. They are the only people that know how to play the organ. They are the only ones that sing. The pastor is the only one. So the pastor is doing this. Everybody knows, yet nobody says anything. If that's the church that you attend, beloved, you need to be careful. Because God is coming to destroy that church. Are we all on the same page? Are y'all tracking with me? Hmm? (laughs) Good, good. So, I don't only like to just tell you about what to, you know, what it is that's sinful and whatnot. For the the remainder of the time that we have, before we we dig into praying, I want to share with you guys some strategies of how to get out of this stuff, right? Question? Right? I want to share with you guys some strategies. prayer is important, right? But after you pray, you also have to act. Right? So, what are some things that you do to act? And I put that in the back of your your books for you. Oh, the back of your, or your papers for you. I'll be able to help you guys with this. In order to in order to take tackle on the enemy, right? Are we paying attention? You have to understand the enemy. If you don't know who you playing, when you got who, who's play football? Jaden, you play football, right? Who else plays football or any other type of sport? When you, in order to take on your opponent, what do you guys do? Right, you watch tape. Right. You 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 do what? Okay. So so from from a, so from a track and field standpoint, Michael, are you, are you a part of a team? Which one? What do you play? Tennis. Chess? <laughs> tennis? You out here. Serena? Venus? No, let me stop. Huh? <laughs> okay, so guys, what I was trying to say. Guys, let's bring it back. Shh, shh. Let's bring it back, guys. In order for you guys to take on your enemy, you have to understand your enemy, right? So you have to understand the cycle of how this goes. All sexual sin, what is the cycle? Right? It all starts from temptation. Y'all wanna write that down? Let me write down. What did you say? it down. Temptation. temptation is the first step. Beloved, temptation is not a sin, but temptation can lead you to sin. Am I making sense? Yes. If you want to learn more about temptation, you go to James chapter 4. And James teaches that, that temptation, if meditated upon for a long time, then breeds and leads you to sin. So don't feel like, oh no, I'm tempted to do this. So I've already sinned, so let me just go ahead. No, the temptation piece is not a sin. Is that understood? James chapter 4. So after temptation, you have, you have, when you're tempted, you guys have a decision to make, right? What is the decision you have to make? You do it or don't do it. Exactly. It's, it's plain simple. It's plain as that. When you're tempted, you do it or you don't do it. Some people then start to think, oh, maybe I can get a little close. I can, I can teeter around. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I've been walking with Jesus my whole life. You know, so let me, just, let me just click on this little page real quick. I'll come back. Let me just search this real quick. I'll come back. Me and my boyfriend, let's just go do, you know, let's get this close, but we'll come back. And that's known as having confidence in the flesh. That's step two. Step two. After temptation, there is confidence in the flesh. Right? Confidence in the flesh. And when I talk about, like, sexual immorality, it's not just these two that I'm saying. If you're in some committed relationship, but bro, you know what you, you and your partner are doing, the Lord will not approve. Be careful. That also falls into this bucket of sexual immorality. Been there as well. We can all be real with one another. Right? Then you have confidence in the flesh. Oh, we're not going to go this far. We're just going to do this. Then you next thing you know... Nine months later, you have a child. No, let me not go there. <laughs> but so that's confidence in the flesh, guys. We don't want to have that. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter three, verse three, that we are to have no confidence in the flesh. Think of yourself as the weakest Christian in the world, guys. Did you hear what I said, Spencer? What did I say? Spencer, come and sit here. Think of yourself as the weakest Christian. But I want you guys to get this. This is very important. This is life and death we're dealing with. Think of yourself as the weakest Christian. Don't have confidence in yourself. Me, myself, doesn't matter how long I've been walking with the Lord. I could slip up if I have confidence in my flesh. But if I each day I go to God and I say, God, help me with this. God, I need you. God's definitely going to help me. Okay? So that's the step. If you are able to, to break that, you're not going to have confidence in the flesh. Amen? Then, step number three. Step number three if you do have confidence in your flesh, that's going to lead you to sin. Okay? So, now the enemy's got you. He had you a temptation, he didn't have you just there yet. You know, Jesus was tempted. But Jesus didn't have confidence in in the flesh. Instead, Jesus referred him to the Word. Right? But we we mess up. At times we have confidence in ourselves. We think we can handle this. And then it leads us to sin. Right? Then after that, after sin, what what comes after sin? You feel guilty. Right? So the next step is guilt. Guilt. The next step is guilt. Now, it's good that the guilt is there because it says that you still have a chance. Guys, note that down. Guilt, you still have a chance. Because there are some people you'll get to a point where you no longer feel guilty. And if you no longer feel guilty about your sin, you are in a dangerous place, my brothers and sisters. I do not want that that's what's called being reprobate i do not want you to be reprobate that means you are far beyond saving i do not want you to be there so it's good when the guilt is there when you feel guilt you come up with extreme resolutions oh god please If you help me with this, I'm not gonna do this again. I'll come to church every day, I'll read my Bible 24 hours a day, all those things. You make all these extreme resolutions, right? And then what happens? You're good for like a week, you're good for a day or whatever, and the next time, temptation hits you in the face again. And that completes the cycle. So we have to understand the cycle. Do we all understand the cycle? From temptation goes to confidence in the flesh, goes to sin, goes to guilt, you make resolutions, you ask for forgiveness, all those things. God forgives you, and then another opportunity comes. The devil comes back to you again, he says, "Oh hey, you know, you know this one, he can go for two weeks. I'll come back in two weeks." And then two weeks comes, you get tempted again, and then you fall again. Love your life does not have to be that way. God is too big. For your life to be that way. Amen? So now that we understand the strategy, now that we understand the cycle, so what are practical steps that we can take? I'm going to get taking you guys more past the just praying, praying. What are practical steps that you can take if this is something that you struggle with? Trust me, many people in this room struggle with this. I'm not going to believe for once that it's just ever been me in my life. So I'm praying that this will get through to your minds and that you will use them. So the practical step, I borrowed it from John Piper. He's a, uh, a pastor. And his step is anthem. Anthem. Anytime you go through a situation like this, you remember the word anthem. The A stands for avoid. Avoid temptation that awakens your sinful desire. How do you do that? That's not easy. When we live in a world that's just filled with sex all over the place, how do you do that? Avoid, A is avoid, avoid. How you do that is you have to be radical for Jesus Christ. Guys, you have to ask yourselves, you you have to say, am I gonna be radical for Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be radical? What does it look like when you're trying to avoid things? You gotta be careful, what am I watching? What am I listening to? Right? What am I watching? What am I listening to? What am I reading? That is awakening sinful desire within me. So if you know there's some shows that are not helpful to your soul, you got to cut them off. Do you love Jesus enough to cut that off? Beloved, it's it's one thing to pray and Christ is, is there with you. But he's also given us wisdom. Apply it. Avoid. Watch what you're watching and reading and listening to. All these things can stir you up to lead you to temptation. The enemy only needs a split second to put something in front of you, to put you in a place to try and mess you up. Am I making sense? Everybody understand first up, avoid, right? The next step is to say no. That's N. The next N N O. The next step, yes, that's N. N for in the anthem is no. Thank you. The N is no. Um, if, the, if you are hit with temptation, the N is no. You have to, how do we, how does the enemy flee from us? James teaches us that we submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. Submit to God and he will flee. So we don't, fight to, we don't fight the devil by saying, oh devil, I cast you aside and all these things and leave and all this stuff and leave my, leave, my, leave my house and all those things. You deal with the devil by going to God. And you submit to God. And you submit to the teachings of the Lord and what he wants you to do. That is how the enemy will then flee. Yes, the enemy will come to each and every single one of you in one shape or another, in one type of sin or another, be it this one that we're talking about right now or another one. But you are going to have to learn how to submit to God and flee. Am I making sense? So that's the end. The T is turn. T is turn. Turn towards the promises of Christ. And for you guys, this is, this is on the sheet of paper that I gave you, but you should note it down anyway, okay? Turn toward the promises of Christ. That's the T. Guys, lust is a deceitful desire. It is false. It's fake. It makes you think like, you know, it makes you think like you're on top of the world. But then pretty soon you come crashing down. And then you, need, then you need more and more and more of it to get through. The, the, the false is defeated with the truth. The fake is defeated with the truth. So it's important that we have to know what God has in store for us. And when the enemy says, hey, you know, just do this real quick. We'll be like, no, God has this in store for me. He knows the plans. He says he knows the plans that, that, that he has for us. Plans for us to prosper. And not to lose hope. Plans for a future. God loves you enough to tell you all these things. But you're not going to know unless you read your word. Then the H in the anthem is hold. H is hold. Hold on to Christ. Fix your mind on Jesus. Amen? Amen? Then the E. Enjoy Christ. Enjoy Christ. This is what's known as being a Christian hedonist. Christian hedonist. It's to find joy in Christ being the biggest, the best thing in your life, more than anything else in your life, more than anything else that you desire in this world. Having the love of Jesus Christ in your life is the best thing you can ever have. Are we all tracking with me? So we have to find satisfaction in Christ. The reason why we default to deceit, we default to wrongdoing, is because we have little satisfaction in Jesus. Treasure God with all your heart, guys. The last one is move. Move into a useful activity from idleness. If you don't know how to pray, trust me, many people in this room don't know how to pray. That's okay. We're working towards that. That's what we're growing towards. But if you don't know how to pray, you got to get your point. You got to get your mind to a, to a place where you say, I'm going to get up and I'm going to do something useful. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to play basketball. Whatever it is. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go talk to my mom. I'm going to call up my friend. Whatever it is, you need to get to that point where you can move. Does that make sense? Get to a place where you can move. Because when Satan is coming after your life, he can only do so for for so long. Have you guys ever heard of a phrase that says that idle hands are the devil's playground? That means that if you ain't got nothing to do, Satan's going to give you something to do. Many people do this because they're bored. If you're bored, somebody said, get a cat. I don't believe in that. But if, if... if you're bored, find something else to do. All right? Don't get a cat. That's not advice for me. That's not from the Bible, okay? OK? It will keep you busy. the cat <laughs> Hey guys, we're almost done, OK? Does that make sense of what I've said? The last thing I want to say, God searches your hearts and your mind. Don't give up. Don't give up. If, somebody, if you're somebody that struggles with premarital sex, you're somebody that is dealing with pornography, masturbation, if that's your life, don't give up. I've been there. It's not easy. You take it day by day. You take it day by day. You guys hear me? It's cause there's so many factors that go into it that you really have to seek the Lord and say, for me, What is my trigger? For me, what is my problem? Is it loneliness? Is it sadness? Is it a willing for acceptance? Is it stress? What is my problem? If you don't know where your source is, what's causing this in you, how will you be able to fight? So I encourage you guys, it ain't easy. The last bit, find somebody that's of the same gender in your church family that you are close to. As you don't mind opening and sharing up your life with. We are here as a church body to help one another. We're here to help one another. So when you're looking for a church, best believe and sure to find one, that there are older folks who can give you wisdom. There are older people who can give you advice and help you navigate this, this difficult, difficult road. Satan knows that if you're able to break free from this bondage, of sexual temptation, of sexual sin, you are gonna be such, such a new, new creation on fire for God. That the things that you'll be able to do and the, the things that the Lord will show you, it will be so amazing. And he is planned to do every single thing to keep you away from getting there. So you say that you love God The church of Thyatira, they they loved God. They didn't deny Him. When we're dealing in our sin, that's a reflection that we do not. When we're staying in our sin, excuse me, all will fall short. If you fall short, get up. And get back on it. And keep moving. Keep pushing. God is there for each and every single one of you guys. He loves you. I love each and every single one of y'all. That's why I share these things with you. I keep things real. Because life life is too short to fake anything. Life is way too short. My life, my mess, I pray that God uses my mess and makes it my message. I've been through all of this. That's why I'm here to come and share this with you. And say that there is a way through all of this. You don't have to be in bondage. God loves each and every single one of you guys. There's a way. And that way is Jesus.